Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn the res this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Paraminus, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles, who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Well, hi everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Uh, my name's Morris. I'm one of the leaders of the church today. I just want to add my welcome to Josh's. Um, it's really great to have you watching us online. Please do say hello. Um, when it comes later to uh, things to pray for, um, even if we don't know you um, and uh, you want to remain fairly anonymous, we'd still love to pray for you. So do put something in to the live chat later for us to pray for. We would really love to do that as a church family. Um, I'm one of the leaders of the church today. I'm going to be opening up Acts 6, which Lewis has read to us. Um, so uh, why don't I just pray before we look at Acts 6 together. Thank you, Heavenly Father, so much for this amazing story of the early church and how the gospel exploded into the world in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we long for more experience of that power today as we share your word with the world. So please shape us today by your spirit so that we too are a church which reflects what you're like and sees many people come to know you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, I have been talking to lots of different church leaders recently about what are we going to do when this is over? What's going to be different? What's going to be the same? We were talking about that at our church AGM last Sunday. And one church leader I was chatting to uh, said, basically, we have said to our church and people accept in our church um, that change is going to be something we deal with all the time. So this is actually in our church sort of vision statement or like thing you get handed when you come to the church. It says this, we believe that sharing the message of Jesus will bring the growth of the church. Growth brings change and change is painful. We accept the pain of change because we want sharing the message of Jesus to bring growth. Well, that's really what Acts chapter 6 is all about. Acts 5, uh, we've looked at the last few weeks, is really um, almost a sort of funny picture of how unstoppable that growth is when the apostles share the message about Jesus. The most powerful people that there are in the country at the time put the apostles in prison to stop them preaching. 
But while they're then there having a meeting about what to do with these people uh, who they've got in prison, what to do to shut them up, someone comes along and says, oh, by the way, um, those people you put in prison, they're actually out in the middle of the temple court preaching. You might want to do something about that, maybe. I'm not really sure. God had just set them free. Can't be stopped. And then this wise teacher, Gamaliel, uh, points out that at the history of this time, there were loads of little rebel movements led by travelling preachers that were going on. And he says, if this isn't of God, it will just peter out like all of those other revolutionary movements we've seen. I guess expecting that it would peter out. From 2,000 years of Christianity spreading over the whole world later, he looks less wise than he looked at the time. It didn't peter out. Now this explosive growth, this miracles, this bravery, that might feel like a world away from the church that we're experiencing. I had a chat with someone as we looked at this Acts series, calling them into the church and saying, look how amazing the church is in God's plan in Acts. And they said, yeah, the church that I know isn't really anything like that. The church that I've experienced is pretty static. It's pretty socially conservative. It's not always like bringing in new ideas to share the gospel. And the stresses I've experienced in the church, they're less to do with being threatened with prison and having to depend on a miracle to get us out, which is pretty exciting. They're much more to do with the fact people are like rude to each other and don't speak to each other and fall out and aren't friends for years. If that's how you feel, your experience of churches miles away from Acts 5, well then, Acts 6 is for you. If you've been tempted to think the early church is a perfect model for us to follow, rather than flawed and messed up like the church we've experienced, Luke records this story of, believe it or not, an argument about who gets most food at the church lunch might sound more familiar to you. Now, I'm making it sound a bit less serious than it was. There was groups of widows in the church. They were women without family, and in that culture, they were limited in how they could hold property. So they only had the church community to feed them. And joining the church, becoming a Christian, would have meant cutting them off, as we've seen from their previous Jewish community that looked after them. So if a widow was overlooked in the daily distribution of food, That was very serious. But nevertheless, we've gone from the heights of miraculous escapes from prison and angels and miracles to an argument between people from different backgrounds about institutional bias, about how resources, money should be used, about volunteer time and people feeling left out which I guess is probably much more the bread and butter of our church experience. And what Acts 6 shows us is this, that growth has brought change. The growth of Acts 5 has brought the change of Acts 6, and that change is painful. But the early church embraced the pain of change so that the word could go out. Let's uh, look at what's going on. Here's the first thing we see. They were feeling the pain of growth. We get these old school terms in verse 1. Hellenistic Jews and Hebraic Jews. 
uh, that might not mean much to you. There's a bit of history here. Jewish people at this stage didn't all live in one place, rather like today. Uh, they were very persecuted people and many of them had scattered to different places around the world. If you know any of the story of the Bible, you'd know that the kingdom of Israel had been split many centuries before and then kingdoms conquered and many Jewish people had been taken away <clears throat> and so there were generations of Jewish people who had only ever lived outside of Israel. They were really influenced by Greek culture, which is what the word Hellenistic means. But then there were Hebraic Jews, people whose in customs and traditions had always lived in Israel. And I guess they felt more like the real deal. So they were all Jewish still, these people. The church was still made up of Jewish believers. But these diaspora people who joined, they felt like strangers. They spoke different languages. They lived in different cultures. In the Jewish temple, they would have been treated quite differently than to people who were Jews in Israel. Now, of course, this was bad that they were left out. Because, in fact, they were the people who'd learned to live in the harsh world defending the true faith. Like many times in church life, they probably had the most to teach the church, but they were being pushed to the edge. And that was because at this stage, everyone running the church was a Hebraic Jew, like the apostles. So naturally, but wrongly, foreigners are beginning to get left out, not be included. Now, in our culture, we can actually think of things, think a few things that would you know, appall us more than people being left out, excluded because their ethnic or racial identity. And the apostles thought it was bad, so don't worry on that front. But while we might be appalled with that, this did make me think about back when we all used to be able to meet together in one room, you'd often see people who were culturally the same, white, middle class, English speaking, the end of the service, you'd see them clumping together and looking after each other, that majority culture, and ignoring people who are from other cultures or speak different languages, who are hard to understand and relate to. So this Act 6 problem, it still happens. It's still bad. You know, Actually, literally, the invites to food for people's houses for meals are tend to be for people like us. And the people who really need food and friendship and fellowship are left out because there's a cultural difference. Now, in one sense, the fact this has dropped into the story should be an amazing reminder of the work of the spirit of the church, what God is doing through the gospel, because it was unusual pretty unheard of for Greek Jews and Hebraic Jews with their different languages and cultures to be gathered round one table. It was definitely strange to be benefiting in one community from this wealth that everybody was selling their stuff and sharing together. This is amazing gospel growth that a frontier, a barrier has been broken and the church is beginning to include people who are not like the people leading it. But as my friend's church vision statement says, growth brings change. And change is painful. Because the way they were used to doing things cannot stay the same if the 
church is going to grow in this way, the gospel demands it does. You know, if our message is the Spirit is through Jesus is available to everyone at all times in all places in the world, and that message does its work, so it draws people from all times, places into one family, that growth is going to mean change. Now here is the promise of the gospel. The gospel in the power of the Spirit will grow an amazing, diverse community. It will do that. But that community will require me to change from the things I'm comfortable with. As people from places and styles and cultures that are strange to me enter the church, but they actually have more to teach me than I have than I can learn from people who are like me. And Acts 6 says, uh, the gospel will bring growth and growth will bring change and that change will be painful and we must learn to embrace the pain of that change. So if you want to be part of a spirit-filled church that is pushing outward with the life of God to the world around us, it's going to make you uncomfortable. It's especially going to make you uncomfortable if you are the majority culture in that church, whatever that is. And people think about this very the wrong way. They, they think, oh, I'm not quite comfortable with the people in this church. That must mean something bad. It must mean something's going wrong that I'm not quite comfortable with the people. But if, especially in our church, if you're white and British, you need to learn, we need to learn, I mean, I am white and British, I need to learn to embrace and love the discomfort that comes from showing whatever honour it takes to welcome people whose culture is different because the gospel is doing something amazing when they want to come into the church. We are privileged to be in a church with gospel growth where the gospel is breaking down barriers, but that means change and change is painful. And can I say our place, particularly as a city centre church, allows us to experience that amazing truth more than many churches. There's a cultural melting pot and the gospel is crossing those cultural barriers and welcoming people in all the time. But that does mean we need to be ready for the pain of that change. What we tend to do is complain about the pain that comes from growth, to shy away from the pain that comes from growth. In fact, some churches, I don't think we're here yet, but we could easily become the type of church that many churches have become of, of saying, oh, the growth that brings change is painful, so let's stop doing the things that bring growth. Let's not um, plant churches anymore. Let's not... Uh, focus a ministry on people who are unlike me? Couldn't we just focus a ministry on my family and my children a bit? I would be more comfortable with that. But that's not how a spirit-filled church takes the gospel. The gospel goes across barriers and welcomes, the spirit brings people who are different to us into the family. There's not just an ethnic, cultural thing here. I think it's just a wider truth that we need to accept the signs of growth are going to make it uncomfortable for the people who were here all along. And sometimes we want to stop the tension that comes with growth by saying, oh, can we just stop doing the things that are making growth happen so I can feel more comfortable? Rather than saying, well, that's an amazing sign the Spirit is at work, so I embrace the pain that comes with change. 
Let me give you a little example. Some week, you, when we are all able to gather together, you might not know the person who is welcoming you to church, even though you've been coming for years. And you might say, well, I've been in this church for years. It would really be much nicer for me. I'd feel much more at home. It would really recognize that more if I was greeted by someone that I know. I don't even know these people who are greeting me. Well, yes. That is uncomfortable. It's slightly painful. But can I say, it is actually an amazing sign, isn't it, that more people are coming in. They're not just coming in, but they're coming in really by the power of the Holy Spirit, nothing we're doing, but they're coming ready to serve others by welcoming them. And they belong enough to our church family to want to draw other people in. That's a sign a right thing is happening, not the wrong thing is happening. And I'm we're not going to stop doing the things that bring that type of growth in order to make ourselves comfortable. That would be totally wrong. We need to embrace the pain that comes with change because the change is a sign of growth. Someone who works with students in church uh, recently was saying to me, uh, occasionally, maybe on this live stream, or um, in church someone does the reading or is leading the band or serving coffee, and someone who's been around a while will say to them, is that person a student? As if to almost say, you know, why have we got students doing everything? Rather than saying, you know, generally in the country, the Christian faith is cratering with people in their 20s. And we are being blessed by a move of the Spirit that people in their 20s not only want to come, but they want to serve you, people who've been in this church for a long time. How amazing! What a wonderful sign of the gospel at work through the power of the Spirit. Here's the second thing we see. Moving leadership outward. There's a question about what the apostles are going to do with this situation. They clearly think the priority is that more evangelism, as we call it, more sharing the gospel in the power of the Spirit happens. It's interesting. That's what they say. They say the thing that can't stop is us sharing the word with people. I mean, it's interesting. If that had been me, I think I would have been tempted to think all of this outward pushing is causing too much disruption. Let's pause a minute in the pushing outward to sort this out. Let's have a rest from the tricky thing that's causing growth. Um... You know, people don't like the Bible uh, passages being announced in different languages, so let's stop welcoming people to come from other countries. That's what I've been tempted to think. But the apostles say, no, the thing that must keep happening is the word goes out. I think there's actually, you know, this is a turning point, even though it just looks like an argument about food. There's a much more dramatic thing going on here. The apostles in the last chapter have rejoiced to suffer shame for the gospel, getting whipped for preaching. But this in their culture is shameful. Eating round a table with slightly unclean people. Will they bear that shame? They could have said, couldn't they, let's just set up a separate church for Greek-speaking Jews. That doesn't even seem to cross their mind. They say, it's amazing that the word is doing this. We must find a way to continue sharing the word. (laughs) We want more of this including the Greeks into the preaching of the gospel is causing this problem. We need more of that problem. And like I say, it's not the way many churches respond to this tendency of the word preached to cause growth. 
we tend to say, stop bringing the change that makes us uncomfortable. But while they're saying the thing that mustn't stop is evangelism, they do not ignore the problem. They do not say, oh, so stop making a fuss. We've got evangelism to do. They realise you can't have a church under this message that the Spirit can go to anybody. You can't have a church where one group is left out. They embrace the pain of change. The thing that must not happen is a distraction from the word going out. But how can we change so that these people are included? And so they allow the church, including these new Greek Jewish believers, to choose leaders. And they need to be full of the spirit and wisdom, the apostles say. That is, they're saying, we need people who are of the sort of calibre of us, basically, who will be able to lead as much as we are. And they can lead. And interestingly, the church chooses seven people, and they're all Greek. All of their names are Greek. And the church presents them to the apostles, and the apostles lay hands on them and pray for them in front of everyone. They mark their approval. These guys can lead too in front of everybody in the church. So in this dispute about lunches, Something huge has happened here, something radical and uncomfortable. Leadership has moved out from the original Judean Jews, from the apostles who knew the risen Jesus. The Spirit has filled people different to them. And they've accepted that and given them authority and let them lead. Some people think by saying the ministry of the word stays with us and the waiting of the tables goes with you, that the apostles are saying, we keep the important job and you do the secondary job. I don't think that's right. I think it's just saying having a church that was run justly to people of all ethnicities is an important job. It but has to be done. You will undermine the witness of the church. No, we do need people set aside for the ministry of the word, but the job of the person who's making sure people are looked after is as an important leadership role. And it widens right out who is leading. In fact, these people go on in the next few chapters to be the heroes of the story of Acts. Stephen gives the longest speech we have recorded in the book and then is the first person to die for his faith. Philip goes out and gets on with spreading the gospel to non-Jewish people. In fact, he leads a sort of totally unclean foreigner to the Lord in chapter 8. Before, Peter, key apostle, has even accepted the memo that non-Jews can be Christians at all. So you see, their solution to the problem of growth is not to avoid the pain of growth. It's to embrace and be happy that God is ever widening the leadership of the church. The Spirit has filled people who are not like us and they will carry the baton on and do more than we ever did to serve God. There are so many different ways this story could have gone. Like the apostles could have said, we'll choose the next leaders. We're the apostles after all. Or they could have said later in the story, oh, whoops, guys, you've chosen all Greeks. Don't you think you should have a few Hebraic Jews in there? Or they could have said, and well, seeing as you've chosen all Greeks, they can do nothing important. Keep listening to us. But instead, they are led to new places by these people. So here's the truth. If the Spirit is filling the church, you and I will be led by people 
we'd never have chosen to lead us in normal life. If you, you know, in our church, there are quite a lot of professional people. And I think there therefore can be a kind of unspoken culture, no one said it to me, but an unspoken culture that we ought to have people of that type leading us at church. And if we did have someone leading us of church who wasn't of that type, well, I'd naturally expect they'd defer and listen to me because I'm a professional and they're not. No, we want to pray for such a work of the Holy Spirit that the church is filled with people who are different to us. And we embrace the change that comes with that and the pain that comes with it. And then we want to pray that God raises up leaders by the Holy Spirit that the church can recognise from those communities. And then when they are leading, we will submit to their leadership. We will look on with joy when they do more to serve God and spread the gospel than we, other do, we ever do. That will be uncomfortable. But it'll be good discomfort, won't it? You know, I pray that someday someone else will be my job in this church, the job title is lead minister, who is nothing like me, but who does much more and carries on much more, does better things than me. That's why, by the way, we don't go for what are called homogenous churches. That's what some churches do. They say, oh, well, your middle-class friends wouldn't like it if this, you know, uh, uh, refugee was leading the service. So we'll set up a service for middle-class people and a congregation for refugees. And I think sometimes, even though we don't do that, we think like that. We're like, oh, my friends are very well-to-do and they go to, you know, the London Carriage Works for dinner. It would be embarrassing to bring them to this school hall with all of these young people. If they heard God preached someone like that, someone who doesn't speak English as a first language, or if they have a church lunch with someone with learning difficulties, that would be awkward. And that's what some churches do. They, they serve for, they, so we'll have a church for these people, a church for these people, a church for these people. If you're tempted to think like that, I just want you to point out, point out verse 7. Luke just drops this in. That even though they're doing this totally radical thing of including these Greek Jews into the church, looking after them and then elevating them to leadership, a large number of priests, that is the most kosher people of all in the temple, become obedient to the faith. It's amazing. They're sort of, I don't want to use magic but there is this sort of spiritual miracle, I guess, that the Spirit does, that it builds this unlikely community through painful change. And when the church cooperates with that Spirit to bring change, lifting up and honouring people that you wouldn't expect to be leaded with in normal life, that's what draws in the people who are really committed to the other system. There are people like that. I think maybe a bit of reverse snobbery in our church. A lot of people from our church uh, who you hear at the front are not from Liverpool. And maybe you are from Liverpool and you think of oh, all of these southern accents, doctors, that would put them off. No. Coming to see that you're in a community with people totally different to you is what speaks the truth of the gospel. There's a phrase I used to get us to use when we were leading services, but a lot of people didn't like it. But I think it's still right, even if, you know, I don't want to force anyone to listen to it. But the church is an alternative community. In the world, people clump together according to their identities. 
There's an LGBT community and that's where you're safe. There is a you know, British Asian community, that's where you're safe. There's Northern Irish people, you know, lots of those in Liverpool, we all clump together and that's where we're safe. Now, those communities are great and we need to reach them with the gospel and the diversity of communities in the city is a joy to us. But in the church, we're an alternative community to that where people from all of those communities are filled with the Spirit and we submit to being led to people that we probably wouldn't choose to lead those groups because they're so different to us. That's not a, that's not a bug, that's a feature. It's what the Spirit does. And that's because of the third thing that we see. The Word brings growth. This amazing problem is caused by the Gospel being shared and this ever-growing church is therefore filled with people who need to be looked after and that pushes the leadership of the church to expand outwards. This could all sound like quite woke, couldn't it? Inclusion, honouring ethnic minorities, both caring for them and enabling their leadership, that's all pretty, you know, on brand, on trend today, at least in people's words. I don't know if you are an ethnic minority, if it's actually used to your experience, but some people in church will be able to tell us about that. All of those ideas in our culture actually have their roots here. So while most people in our culture are not Christians, our culture is still highly influenced by Christianity and inclusion is basically a Christian idea. But is the early church just a sort of Occupy protest? You know, where the poor are lifted up and elevated. It is that, but it's not just that, because the thing the apostles are clear must continue is the spread of the word, the message of the gospel. So when they say, we're not going to wait tables, it's not that they think they are too important to wait tables. They see the one thing the church must do to be a church is that the preaching of the word must go on. It must not stop. They know they have to do that. They say it in verse 4, they say it again in verse 7, and then, uh, and then in verse 7, Luke tells us that it's the word that continues to grow. So they set up a system where the word goes out, and Luke says that worked. The word went out. It's the message that contains the power and causes the growth. We have in our translation the word of God spread. That The literal thing is the word of God grew. It is the message that grows. So the church is not about, we've seen, creating a place where you feel comfortable because uh, your culture isn't challenged. It's not primarily about even making sure that ethnic minorities are looked after and lifted into leadership, much as that will be part of the work of the Spirit in a Spirit-filled church, and a church where that's not happening needs to seek the help of the Spirit. But that community of justice is formed as a platform, as an illustration for the one thing the church has to present to the world, the word, the message about Jesus. Now, if that message is going to be heard, you have to have your house in order to do it. True, isn't it? If I go around preaching the message that all who are far off can receive the Spirit and then we all become children of God equally, that will be undermined if people get into the church and have a look at the church and see it's nothing like that. But the justice the gospel brings in the church is itself a platform for the word to ring out all the more clearly to the world. The church is about 
more than waiting tables. It's about the ministry of the word. Now, I've heard some self-serving sermons by ministers on this passage uh, to basically say, so, hey, everyone, my ministry is the ministry of the word and prayer. Could you all get on with the waiting tables, please? I don't think that's a right application. The apostles are not elders. And even though the word's often used of them, these people in this passage are never called Deacons, I'm not sure this passage has much to say exactly about how you do church government. It's just saying the church must reflect the equality and justice and the bringing nature of the gospel. And that must be a vehicle for the word of God going out. And that means this, that Acts 6 is not a call for you to consider all the ways you feel left out per se. It's a call for all of us together to consider as a church whether what all of us are doing reflects what we believe about the Spirit going to everybody and whether what we are doing is ejecting the Word into the world as much as it possibly could do. It would be easy for Act 6 to turn into navel-gazing grumbling. I'm not getting as much as these people and expect everybody to run around you until you're happy. But we need to ask a deeper thought. There will be plenty of moments when you feel dissatisfied in church. The question Act 6 asks us to ask is, is this dissatisfaction because I want more, which is just selfishness? Or is it a symptom that something is being done to undermine the message? The really important message that will grow, that if anyone comes to Jesus, the Spirit comes to them and they're part of the church. And if you think that's happening, you must pipe up. Not all change is good, therefore. Change that is us for to be more comfortable because it's one, what one leader wants, because it's a way of exercising control, that type of change is not good. But the sharing of the message will bring the growth of the church and that growth of the church will bring change, and that change is painful, and we accept the pain of that change because we want to see the gospel bring growth. No matter how painful that change is, we should always be saying, what needs to change so the word can go out to more people and so that the church can reflect the truth of the word? Can I just say, uh, in our own church at the moment, uh, the average age has risen probably um, five years in the last 10 years, people in the church. When we were all younger, this was much easier. We're now, lots of us, at the stage of life where change feels much harder. It's much more exhausting because life is more exhausting. But I want to call you to gospel change anyway. Because just think about the type of church, because of where we are and what we're doing, the type of church this gives us the opportunity to be. Being based in the city centre opens the door to us welcoming and reflecting and elevating people to lead spirit-filled Christians from every nationality and background and class and wealth. We get to do that. We get to be the type of church where you don't know the person handing you a welcome leaflet every week because we get to be the type of church where more younger people are learning to serve and love the work of the Spirit. We get to be the type of church where we have people from all over the world in our homes 
getting to know our children, people they'd never have met at school. We get to be the type of church where you can use your money to help people you get to know who need help, rather than everybody pretty being, being pretty well off. We get to be the type of church where a refugee and a Chinese student and a doctor and a shop worker all sit round your table for lunch and the spirit moves you to say all of these people must be included because that's a sign and result of growth from the gospel. We get to be that and not as some sort of United Nations type project but a bigger purpose than that. We get to be that church so the truth of the word that we will keep speaking gets spread out and gets pointed to and illustrated by the community that we are. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, so much. This is what the Spirit does in the church. I am so grateful for the many people from other cultures, class backgrounds, different languages in our church family from whom, who we have to look after and from whom we can learn and we just pray for more of that work of your spirit in our church and more of the work of the spirit in us that we are ready to embrace the pain that comes with that change because what you're doing is so glorious. Pray for that in us. In Jesus' name. Amen.